Okay, look at what it says in verse 1 of Ephesians chapter 4. It says, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you that you walk worthy of the vocation wherewith you're called, with all lowliness and meekness, with long suffering, forbearing one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, even as ye are called in one hope of your calling. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in you all. But unto every one of us is given grace according to the measure of the gift of Christ. Now, there's so much that could be said about these verses that we just read here. But first, I want to just point out, I'm kind of continuing talking about grace. Okay, We started off a few weeks back talking about the law. What laws still apply? And trying to help you understand how to uh, you know, understand the law when you're reading about it. And I don't want to, I don't want to take time to review all that, but now, uh, last week we started talking about grace, the grace side of things. It's important to talk about it. We talked last week about the true grace versus the false grace. There is a false grace movement, basically just encouraging people to sin, basically encouraging just lasciviousness, and we are against that. And what I want to talk about tonight, though, is the importance of giving grace. Because a lot of times we're, you know, we like the hearing about grace being given to us by God. We like hearing about the fact that we are forgiven. We like hearing about the fact that God is not going to hold our sins to our charge. He took care of those things on the cross. And while we like hearing about that, we don't always like hearing about extending grace to other people. Often, you know, as Christians, we like to go and study the law, not so we can realize what we've been saved from. Not so it can make us better Christians and make us more Christ-like, but we like to go back to study the law so we can get some more ammo to condemn everyone with. Which is not the purpose of the law, and that should not be the purpose of you studying the law. Truth is, we have been given grace, and God wants us to give grace to others. Notice what it says in verse 8. Right after He says in verse 7, "...but unto every one of us is given grace according to the measure of the gift of Christ." Why did it say that? Why did it mention the fact that we have been given grace? Well, because, remember, we're sinners. We come short of the glory of God. We have violated the law of God. But when Jesus Christ died on the cross, when He made atonement for our sins, He nailed all those cardinal ordinances that were against us to His cross. He led captivity captive. Not meaning that He went down to good hell and took the saints out of good hell and took them up to heaven. No, verse 8, Wherefore He saith, when He ascended up on high, He led captivity captive and gave gifts unto men. What does that mean? It means Jesus conquered all of the things that were defeating us, all the things that held us captive. What were those things? It was all the laws that we violated. It was all those laws that condemned us. It was those laws that Satan was able to hold over our heads and say they are not worthy of heaven. And he was right in saying that, all those things that condemned us, Jesus Christ went and took all those things away. He nailed them to the cross. That's what it meant when He led captivity captive. He did that for us. And therefore, we can stand here today and we can say, I'm going to go to heaven because all the areas where I fell, all the areas where I came short, Jesus Christ made up for those things and He has given me grace. Given me an unmerited favor that I do not deserve. And we see that we are supposed to be the same way. We are supposed to be gracious people. We should be show grace to other people. We should extend mercy to other people. Yet, you often have Christians 
or people who call themselves Christians, I'm just going to tell you right now, I often doubt the salvation of any of these people who they come into church, they blow in, they blow up, they blow out, and the way that looks, they come in and they love to just bring up the law and they don't use it to judge themselves, but they use it to just hit everybody over the head. They use it to just bring everybody down and to exalt themselves. That is not the purpose of the law. And they like to just brag about how hardcore they are. They like to just you know, show all the Scriptures that they follow and all the good things that they do. Remind you of all the bad things that you do. And they have no grace with people. They have no patience with people. People like this have no place in the house of God. Any, I mean, remember the parable of the man who was forgiven the great debt? And then he wouldn't forgive the little debt. That's everyone who comes in the church and they want to hold the law over other people's heads and just beat them over the head with it. That is a wicked attitude. And I, I do not like people like that. And we, we don't want people like that in our church. And you know, the truth is, it is, it's, it's true, it is right that the law is good. Psalms 19 verse 7, the law of the Lord is perfect converting the soul. And that is still true. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The statutes of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. Does it sound like there's any gray area with God? Sounds like God's got it figured out. Sounds like the Bible's got it figured out. It sounds like the Bible is right. But when we read our Bible, when we read our Old Testament, we're going to be condemned. We're going to realize we cannot do those things. And we're going to realize, and it is that Old Testament is meant to teach us that we need grace, that we are dependent on grace. We haven't got a chance without grace. We are to contend for the faith, the Bible says. Notice in Ephesians chapter 4, in verse 3, you know, uh, how, or in verse 4, how he says, there is one body. There is one Spirit, even as you are called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in you all. Does it sound like we ought to be putting up with interfaith junk? Does it sound like we ought to be fellowshipping with people who have another Spirit, who have another God? Does it sound like we ought to be fellowshipping with those people? Does it sound like we should be putting up with that type of doctrine in our church? No, we should not. Obviously, we are supposed to contend for the faith, but did you know that, we, that it's possible to contend for the faith in a wrong way? There's a right way to do it, and there's a wrong way to do it. And right here, I think the Bible lays out a very clear way to contend for the faith in a right way. Notice what it says with, in verse 2. It says to do it with all lowliness. Okay? Now, these people who come into the church that are better than everybody, these people who come in the church that like to talk about how much they go soul winning more than everybody else, these people who come into churches that are so spiritual, you know, that they are so hardcore. Isn't it weird how some people, they love soul winning so much, you know, and they make it like they're a loving person, yet they don't love the people of God? You know how many people there are today? And there's people in this movement. They're all hardcore on souling, but they can't get along with anyone in church. Why is that? There's something wrong when you can't get along with God's people. And I'm all for soul winning. And I go soul winning because I love those people out there. I do. I love them. I want to help them. But did you know, I'm just going to be honest, I like you all better. 
I'd rather hang out with you guys. I want to go out there and be a soul winner. We do that. But you all realize that's work. The fellowship that we do here is refreshing. It's a blessing. That's how I feel. And it's amazing people who, it's like all they want to do is go soul winning. Why? Why can't you get along with us? I mean, we get along great in this church. And you got these people, they want to pick at everybody in the church. They want to cause trouble. They want to sow discord. Just cause division wherever they can. And at the same time, while they're just putting down everyone else in the church, they're just talking themselves up. That's weird, folks. Alright, and don't let them fool you with their soul winning. Don't let them fool you when they're carrying their Bible around with their memorization. There's something strange about a people who just can't get along with God's people and love to talk about all their things that they do. How is that doing this with lowliness? That's not what it is. Philippians 2 3 says, Let nothing be done through strife or vainglory. Okay? That's why I worry about people that all they want to do is talk about what they do. Leaving YouTube comments everywhere talking about how much they go soul winning. But it's funny, none of us see them do it. Why is that? Because right? they don't get along with us. But they like to do these things all by themselves. There's something weird about that. That's weird. That's wrong. And when, you have, when you're on YouTube all the time talking about how much you go soul winning, how is that lowliness? How is that doing it without strife or vainglory? How is it that you know when all you want to do is pick on everyone in the church who is not doing it and talking about yourself, how, how, how are you following this verse, let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem other better than themselves? That's not what these YouTube trolls do. Okay? That's not what these people do who come in they blow in, blow up, and blow out. That's not how it is. We ought to be lowly in the things we do. That's what the Bible teaches. And that's what it says in verse 2. You know, we're supposed to walk worthy of the vocation where we're called. Does that mean we go around pounding our chest saying, I am worthy? No. It says we're supposed to do it first with lowliness. Notice secondly, and it says, and meekness. 1 Peter 3.15 says, "...but sanctify the Lord God in your hearts and be ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh you a reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and fear." I'm also amazed at how many people are always so quick and ready and anxious to answer questions even before they get asked. And they do it not with meekness and fear, but with just pride and arrogancy. Putting no thought into it. Just quick to answer the question. Not even thinking about it. Once again, answering the question before it even gets asked. Why do they want to do that? They want to show off how much they know. That's why they do that. They want everybody to know how much they know, how smart they are, how special they are. There's no meekness in that. They don't have, there's, there's no humble attitude there. This is completely opposite of what we're supposed to do. It says with all lowliness, meekness, and long suffering. 2 Peter 3.9 The Lord is not slack concerning His promises. Some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to us words. Not willing that any should perish, but all should come to repentance. looks like God has to put up with us. It looks like He has to wait on us to get to where we should be. And I'm going to tell you right now, if you're not long-suffering, you're not going to do well in a church. Because sometimes people are slow. Some people are really slow to get right with God. Some people are really slow to get their act together. 
And one of the things that we have been called to do as Christians is to be long-suffering. You've got to be willing to put up with some junk. You've got to be willing to just put up with some foolishness sometimes. It's okay to do that. Second Timothy 4.2 says, Preach the Word, be instant in season, out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with all long-suffering in doctrine. What's he telling Timothy? He's saying don't throw everybody out of the church if they don't listen to you the first time. You know, reprove, rebuke, and exhort, but you're going to have to do it with all long-suffering. You're going to have to put up with people that are kind of slow sometimes. I've talked about it here before. I think we've been in this thing for over a year, maybe two years. And I remember preaching a message on the authority of the King James Bible and I had people coming up to church me afterwards like, man, I never knew that. We just bought some NIVs. We're going to get rid of them. Now we're going to get rid of them. And they, you know, I was glad they had that attitude, but I was like, how did y'all miss this <laughs> to this point? Sometimes people are just slow. Sometimes it goes over their head. You know, just because they sit in the service doesn't mean they hear the preaching. Sometimes people have things on their mind. Sometimes they're tired. Sometimes they're in, in la la land somewhere. You know, thinking about who knows what, and they just completely miss things. I've been amazed at the things that, you know, I thought I. Thought I nailed that man. You know, I hit that ball out of the park. You know, everybody in our church knows it now, and then people still don't. And you're just like, why? Why do I even preach sometimes? <laughs> but you know, you got to keep doing it, and you got to have some long suffering. And I'm telling you right now, just mark this down for everybody that's here, especially new people or any any person that's out there who is thinking about ever attending this church in the future. Just understand, if you come to this church and in your and nobody's doing this in here tonight, all right? No, especially new people. I'm not picking anybody here tonight. Nobody in here is doing this. But we've had it, all right? We've had this before. If you think you're going to come in here and after being here a month, two months, six months, you think I'm going to listen to you, you know, or let you try to straighten out everyone else in this church, you got another thing coming. You think you're just going to... Because here's here's the thing. If you've only been here a couple months and you're already getting aggravated by everybody in the church, it's because you have no long-suffering. It's because you have no patience. You've put forth no effort into this church. You've not done anything to actually work with somebody. You've not seen maybe some of the growth that has already taken place. You are just all about yourself. And you have no grace. You have no lowliness, meekness, or long-suffering. These people, I'm telling you, they are self-serving narcissists who live miserable lives that need you all to fail to make them feel better about their existence. And we, do, we should run people like this off from the church. We need, because this is completely opposite of what Christian behavior should be. You need to have some long-suffering. You better be willing to put up with some people. You better be willing to put up with some things. That's just part of going to church. And you know, the problem with a lot of people in this movement is they've listened to a lot of preaching online, but you know what they've never, they have no experience in doing is dealing with people in church, dealing with brothers and sisters in Christ. Do you all realize that's what God intended? God intended for us to learn by coming together as a congregation like we're doing tonight. Now, it is a blessing to be able to listen to preaching from other churches. I do it all the time. Many of you do it, and I encourage you to do that. I encourage you to listen to other preaching as long as it's good preaching, as long as it's biblical preaching. I encourage that. 
But you realize that if that's all you do is listen to preaching online, that's not going to help you develop people skills. You know how you develop people skills? By actually being among people and putting up with stuff. And you've got all these people out there, they listen to preaching all the time, and they maybe even for months and years, they get this superior attitude because they have some knowledge, and then they come into a church and they don't know how to handle people with issues. Because you know why? Because they've never done it before. And they're and they're too puffed up, they're too lifted up with pride to realize that the problem is not everybody else, the problem is them. They have a superior attitude. They have no experience in actually dealing with people, and that's something we have been commanded to do. We've been commanded to forbear one another. We've been commanded to be forgiving. How can you be forgiving if nobody ever does anything wrong to you? You ever thought about that one? We've been commanded to forgive. That means somebody's got to transgress against us. Somebody's got to do something to us. But what do people do? They come into a church, something happens to them. I'm out of here. Bunch of hypocrites in that church. Well, you know what? How are we supposed to forgive anybody? Obviously, yeah, somebody's going to have to do something wrong. People are going to mess up. So, lowliness, meekness, long-suffering. And then he says, forbearing in love. Now, this is why we put up with people. Okay? You know why moms and dads put up with dirty diapers? Because they love those kids. You don't throw them out with their dirty diaper. You know, Kelly, she, that girl is hyper right now, man. She's going through a hyper stage. But, you know, we don't throw her out. We don't sell her to the gypsies. We love her. Hey, we, would, we wouldn't trade her for anything. That's what you do when you actually love people. And you've got these holier than thou's that come into a church and that they've put forth nothing into the people in that church. But there's a pastor in that church who loves the people in the, that church because they have loved them. They have prayed for them. They've spent time with them. They've ministered to those people. They actually love those people. And so they don't want to throw them out. They forbear them in love. They put up with junk. They're willing to clean up messes that maybe they left, but there's always that holier than thou that comes in the church and they just want to cast everyone out. You know, Pastor, why don't you throw these people out of the church? Why are you putting up with this? Why are you letting them do that? Why don't you make them do this? And then they act like you're a compromiser. No, I'm not a compromiser. I preach the truth. It's just some people are kind of slow. But I'm sorry. I love them. I'm willing to put up with it. You know, I'm, I'm doing the work hoping that one of these days they'll grow and they'll finally get their act together. And in the meantime, while I'm working on these people, loving these people, I would appreciate it if you wouldn't come in and be a big pain in the neck and be a discouragement to these people. But unfortunately, while you know these people too who love hard preaching, you know, we all love hard preaching when we're preaching against the homos and people that we're not. But what about hard preaching that's right at you? That's right, right up your alley. I mean, you're, that's that's the real hard preaching right there, folks. Okay, you're not, you're not a big deal if you love just you know hearing somebody rip on the sodomites. Okay, nobody. That's not a big deal. Okay, it's when you can take it. You know, when it's preaching against you, that's the different thing right there. So forbearing love, Colossians three thirteen says, forbearing one another. And forgiving one another, if any man have a quarrel against any, even as Christ forgave you, so also do ye. Well, you know what does that tell me? That tells me there's going to be quarrels in church sometimes. Philippians or Ephesians four, and then jump down to verse eleven. 
It says, And He gave some apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers for the perfecting of saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come in the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man under the measure and stature of the fullness of Christ. Now, I don't think we're going to get to that point until the rapture. But in the meantime, we're supposed to be working on that. We're supposed to be united until that time comes. But what I'm seeing right here tells me that there's always going to be some imperfections and some issues in our congregation until the return of Christ. So, what are we supposed to do? Well, we are supposed to you know, put up with each other until that. We're supposed to deal with some you know, things that maybe are aggravating. Someday we will all be in unity. Someday we'll all be as spiritual as you think you are. Okay? And someday you'll be as spiritual as you think you are if you're actually saved. But today is not that day. God has been merciful to us when we have been in error. It says, even as Christ forgave you, so also do ye. So we should be merciful to others who are in error. And this is a process that can take a long time. And did you know that it's taking God a long time with us? Did you know, it's taken Him a while to get us to where we're at now. It's taken Him a long time. And He's still putting up with us. So notice, notice in verse, in chapter 4 of Ephesians. So, you know, after He says, you know, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, okay? There's no gray area with God. There is, you know, there's one way. There's, there's, there's one truth. All these things. Yes, it's right. But in the meantime, notice how it says, but unto every one of us, verse 7, is given grace according to the measure of the gift of Christ. Every one of us in here, right now, is only still okay and is only still saved because of the grace of God. Every one of us in here is lacking in some area, yet at the same time, if Christ were to return right now, you would still go to heaven because of His grace. Wherever you are lacking, His grace will make up for that. But none of us are the entire package right now. So, we should be people, if we realize that, who have a practice of being gracious to other people. Who have the practice of giving grace. That should be something we're really good at. Something that is just, I mean, one of, it should be something that defines us as Christians and as a church that we put up with some serious stuff. We're willing to put up with some things. I'm not saying, you know, and, you know, there's specific things the Bible spells out. Don't let that be one same among you. Put that person out. Those things are there. But it's amazing how many things we want to throw people out for that aren't mentioned anywhere in that list. And there's a reason for that. And I'll say some of this as we, as we go. But turn over to 2 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 12. So what are some attributes of people who are givers of grace? Because okay, that's what I'm talking about. That The importance of giving grace. What are some attributes of givers of grace? Are you a giver of grace or are you just a taker? Because all of us in here are takers today. When it comes to grace, if all of us are takers, but how many of us are actually givers? Because that's what God wants. Okay, so look what it says in Second Corinthians chapter ten, in verse twelve. It says, "For we dare not make ourselves of the number, or compare ourselves 
with some that commend themselves, but they measuring themselves by themselves and comparing themselves among themselves are not wise. You know what a person who's a giver of grace does not do? They don't go around comparing themselves to other people. That is the last thing that a person who is a giver of grace is going to do. You know what they're going to do? They're going to be too busy comparing themselves to Jesus Christ. And if we were actually comparing ourselves to Jesus Christ, we're not going to be dumb enough to think that we're any better than other people in the church. We wouldn't be so foolish as to think that way. And even if that thought were to enter our mind, and it just may, all that's going to do is give us one more thing to confess, our, you know, one more sin to confess to God, and it's going to cause us to just want to be even more gracious. It's just going to make us realize how bad we actually are. I mean, someone who's actually thinking about Christ, comparing themselves to Christ, if they even have the thought, I'm better than this person in the church, they're going to realize that's a terrible thought. That was a foolish thing to do. You know what I better do? I better be gracious to these people, seeing that God is being gracious to me. That's what they're going to do. They're not going to do that. But yet, people today, they're in churches all over this country, causing problems all over this country, churches everywhere, going in there, wanting to measure everybody according to them. Wanting to be the standard of everything. Wanting the pastor to preach against you know every issue that they feel other people have that they don't have. But then God forbid the pastor get up and talk about their sins. They're going to throw a great big fit. A person who is a giver of grace, they are not going to do that. They are not going to have that superior attitude. They are not going to compare themselves. The Bible says that's not wise. We dare not do that. We dare not commend ourselves. Why would a person do that? Because they don't even realize that they are dependent on God's grace. That's why many of these people are not saved. I just, I'm not saying it's not possible, but it, do, it doesn't make sense for a person who realizes that their sins have been cleansed, washed away by the blood of Jesus Christ, when they realize they did nothing to gain or to earn that forgiveness, it just doesn't make sense for that same person to go around condemning everybody else because they don't measure up to them. That doesn't make sense. That that's a very, very wicked attitude, but yet people are doing that today. So don't do that. Don't go around comparing yourselves with other people. Givers of grace don't do that. Another thing a giver of grace does not do, or that they actually do, is they are more likely to make excuses for other people than to go around condemning them. Look what it says in Luke chapter 23. I don't believe in making excuses. Well, I'm glad you're so hardcore. You know, congratulations. That's one more pat on the back we'll give you. You know, that's one more gold star you've earned because you're just, you don't believe in making excuses. But look what it says in Luke chapter 23, verse 34. Then said Jesus, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Now, what do you think Jesus is doing right there? What? He's making an excuse for them. They don't know what they're doing, Lord. God in heaven is seeing that. He is seeing the wickedness that's going on. He's seeing what they're doing to His Son. And of course, He's getting upset by that. Of course, He's getting mad by that. But Jesus Christ, who lived in 33 years on earth as a man, someone who is tempted in all points like as we are, he was not an high priest that could not be touched with the feeling of our infirmities. He looked at man. He saw what they were doing. And he realized that the people that were there, 
that were doing these things to him were obviously people who are not reprobate because what is the mark of a reprobate? A reprobate knows what they're doing and they do it anyway. These people that were there at the cross did not know what they were doing. That's what Jesus said. Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. These were people, these are soldiers just following orders. These are, just, these are guys just doing what they were told to do. They just saw Him, Jesus Christ, as another criminal. So what, what's Jesus doing? He's telling God, look, forgive these, these... They don't know. Think about it. If you're a soldier, if you weren't paying attention, if you hadn't... They, some of these guys might have never even heard of Jesus. I don't know. And here they are killing the Messiah. But Jesus makes it clear they didn't know it. So what's He doing here? He's asking God to be forgiving. He's making, he's making. You could say, you could say, making excuses for him. He's being understanding. How often do we do that with other people? Say, Lord, please forgive these people. Lord, they're not. You know, if you're arrogant enough to say it, you know, they're not what I am. But you know what, Lord, they didn't have what I had. They haven't been in church as long as I have. They haven't been saved as long as I have. They weren't raised the same way I was. They didn't come from the kind of family that I came from. Lord, and Lord, I mean, it was just a miracle of God that anyone ever even came by and gave me the gospel. I mean, if it weren't for just me being home that day and a soul owner coming by my house, I'd be doing the exact same things that they're doing. That's what I used to do before I knew any better. Lord, don't go killing all these people. Give them a chance. They don't know what they're doing. Make, go ahead and make excuses for people. It's okay to do that. And that's what Jesus did. He interceded. For them, He intercedes for us. And yet today, we've got Christian people who claim their sins have just all been forgiven and washed away. And under the blood, they receive salvation by a free gift. Yet they're always looking for a reason to just throw people under the bus, throw them into hell. That doesn't make sense. That does not make sense at all. We ought to be making intercession for people. Your co-workers... You ought to be making intercession for him. Saying, Lord, I thank you that you gave me the things that you gave me. Lord, help me find a way to introduce these things to them. Because that could be me. That's what somebody does who is a giver of grace. They're not looking, you know, they're, they're not, they don't go home reading their Bibles to find more laws that their co workers have transgressed against. I'm going to, you know, I'm going to go, you know, I'm just going to read my Bible tonight just for fun and see how many sins I could find that my neighbors committed. We don't, we don't do that. Okay? That's, not, that's not what we use the Bible for. We're not going reading our Bibles to find out what's wrong with everybody in the church. You know, I don't like what this person in the church is doing. I don't like the way this person in the church is dressing. Uh, it just bothers me. There's something about it I just don't like. I'm going to go see if I can find some Bible against it. I'm going to go hit him over the head with it. Okay. Y'all understand the law is still good, isn't it? If there's a law in the Bible, it's good, it's right. But are you really going to try to go to the law to find out something to condemn them with when you supposedly admit that according to the law you are condemned, yet you are here today as a child of God completely by the grace of God? That doesn't make sense. That's not what we're supposed to be using the law for. Not to hit other people over the head. Yes, when we preach, we teach what the law says. We're trying to show these things. We want to have principles in our life. 
But once again, we're using, you know, I try, I try to use the Bible. I try to use the Old Testament and preach these things as a way to benefit you all. You know, to help you. I'm not looking for a reason to condemn you and to declare you lost or reprobate or find a reason to throw you out of the church. That's not what I'm doing. We go back to the law because we realize that it benefits us personally if we are following the least commandments. That's, that's why we do it. There's a difference between learning to condemn, learning to get puffed up, versus you know, learning because we personally just want to have a better relationship with Christ. There's a big difference. And unfortunately, some people haven't figured that out. They are, they're masters at using the Word, using the law to condemn everyone else. That is not what we're supposed to be doing. So another thing, another attribute of someone who is a giver of grace... They get along well with others. Proverbs 18, verse 24, A man that hath friends must show himself friendly, and there is a friend that sticketh closer than a brother. Some people do not know how to get along with other people. They don't know how to play well. It's because there's something wrong with them. And it's sad because these people always think, nobody wants to be around me because I'm just too spiritual for them. I convict them. I've heard people say that before. You know, I, I I was talking to a guy one time, and he was just talking about how his family just they don't like having him around because it's just too convicting when he's around. And I'm thinking, are you sure they're getting convicted, like Holy Ghost conviction, or does it have anything to do with the fact that you are preaching to them constantly? Could that have something to do with it? The fact that you are condemning them for everything they do wrong. I think that's probably the real reason. But they act like, you know, man, my life is just so holy that when people get in my presence, you know, they just they can't handle it. And so they don't know me. I, I don't believe that. Alright? You know, and the truth is, nobody likes being around arrogant people. Nobody likes being around people that think they're better than everybody else. And the truth is, that's a major fault. People who are friendly, people who are gracious, People who have compassion, people that are willing to forgive other people, people that are willing to let somebody else have a flaw and try to help them, they always have friends. It's the ones who just, they're always, it's like they're always keeping a list of your transgressions. That you, you are not going to have friends when you're like that. And you're not fooling anybody with that kind of talk. You're, the problem, the reason you don't have any friends is because of you. And you know what? We all like to be around people who like us. Okay? Even if they're annoying. You know, there's annoying people, but let's just admit it. It's nice to be appreciated, isn't it? It's nice to be liked. We enjoy being loved. Who doesn't like that? It, and people who are loving, kind, compassionate, all those things, they will have friends. But yet, you have people today they're always wanting to tell you about their old friends they had a falling out with. And then, well, what happened? Why would you have a falling out? And then they'll tell you their list of transgressions. Oh, so you as a Christian didn't have the power to forgive those sins? They were done to you. They did those things to you. So you realize you did have the power. You had, you had God-given authority to just forgive those things. If those things were done to you, said so if people are doing things to other people, if they're doing things to my friends, you know, that's a different situation. If you're transgressing against my wife, 
that's going to be a bigger problem than if you do it with me. But if, if people are doing things to you, you have the authority to forgive. But people who don't have any friends that are always talking about everything that people did to them, what do they talk about? They tell you what they did to them. Do you know what they did to me? No, I don't really care. Can I tell you about this great authority you have? Can I tell you about this great power that God has given you? The authority and the power to forgive? Well, I'm not going to forgive them. You know why? Because you have no grace. They don't deserve forgiveness. You realize that statement doesn't even make sense. Nobody deserves forgiveness. Otherwise, you know, where does grace play? It's not grace then if we deserve it. It's not grace if we earn it or if we make up for it. And we as people who are dependent on grace, <clears throat> we should have no problem with this. And if you are, if you are a forgiving person, if you're willing to let some things go, if you're willing to just, you know, wipe the slate clean in some things, you're not going to have any shortage of friends. You're not going to have these constant fallings out with people. You're going to get along well with other people. But it is, it's very rare. And it's happened, but it's very rare that people are like, oh, I used to be friends, but I quit being friends because of what they did to someone else. Unless maybe it was a close friend of theirs and they had to pick sides. But you know what you'll never hear them do is because they did some horrible thing to someone they didn't like. You know, and the truth is, if we were really just, it wouldn't matter if they did something bad to someone we like or don't like. It's wrong either way. But yet, most people, they don't, they don't use, they don't have that attitude. But a person who is a giver of grace, they will get along with others. So they're not going to go around comparing themselves with other people. They're going to be more likely to make excuses for people rather than condemning them. You know, they're not going to come along talking about, I don't understand why that, you know, mom that's got, you know, all these little babies and nursing all doesn't go, doesn't go soul as much as I do. You know, they're like, I get it. Yeah, you know, she's got seven kids. You know, I got one. And they're growing up. There's a big difference. You know what they're doing? They're making excuses there. Okay, why? Because they're gracious. That's why they, that's why they do that type of thing. So people, the, the last attribute we'll look at, these people who are giver of grace, they are people that others will actually go to for help. Okay? It says in Hebrews 4.15, we re- I mentioned this verse earlier, for we have not an high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. So we see that Jesus Christ, He understands what we're going through. He knows how we feel. He has faced temptation before, and yet even though He never gave in to the temptation like we have, we see that He has encouraged us to boldly come to the throne of grace so we can obtain mercy and find help in time of need. He's told us that we he's told us that we can do that. Jesus Christ has proved that he would do that. We know we've seen in the scriptures that he died on the cross for us. We see what he went through for us. There's no reason for us to doubt at all that if we go to Jesus Christ for some help, that we're going to get some help. There's no reason for us to doubt that if we go to him for mercy, we're going to get it. There's no reason for us to doubt that if we call on His name for salvation, even though we're undeserving, He will give us that salvation for free and that He'll never take it away. There's no reason for us to doubt that. It's amazing how many people, they don't believe that Jesus would save you and then never take your salvation away. And it's like, why not? Have you not read about the crucifixion? Did you see what He did for us there? 
it looks like He really wants to save us. He left heaven, came to this earth, died a horrible death on the cross. Why would He try to take it away from us? He went and He proved in His Word over and over again that He cannot lie. He specifically said He cannot lie. He's given us promise after promise. He's done miracle after miracle to prove He can't lie. He has divinely inspired the Scriptures. He has preserved it for us so we could have it, so we could read it and see that He doesn't lie. We can see what He did for us. Why did He do that? So we would know that if we would call on Him, that He would forgive us. And that we would be guaranteed eternal life. Why did He do that? Because He wants us to come to Him for help. And there is no reason to doubt that. But did you know, there's many people today, you couldn't go to Him for help. You know why? Because here's what they'll do. You come to Him for help. You say, I messed up. You know what they'll do? They'll open up the Old Testament and say, well, you did this and this and this. Eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. Do you know eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth is good law? Do you know that's just? Do you know that's fair? Did you, just like... For the wages of sin is death. It's fair. But do we want that? No. I don't want that. But that's, but that's what's right. That's what's fair. Yes, it is. But the wages of sin is death. But Jesus paid that for us. And He has granted us the ability to forgive what has been done to us. So we don't, while this law is good and it's holy and it's just, when it comes to what's done to us, we don't have to hit people over the head with that. And that's not what we're going to do. You know what we're going to do? Hey, you did that to me? Alright, it's a good thing you did it to me. I'm forgiven. I'll, I'll, I'll be gracious. I will give you mercy. And if we do that, people are going to come. They'll be willing to come. And that's why everyone who is saved got there by coming to Jesus Christ. He proved it to them. And if we are gracious people, people will come to us for help. If they mess up, if they're going through a hard time, they're going to know, hey, I can go talk to the people in this church and they're not going to just condemn me because of where I messed up. They're gracious people. Yeah, I messed up big time. I've really goofed up. I've made some bad choices in my life. But these people in this church... They are forgiving. They understand that they're sinners too and that they're dependent on the grace of God and they're willing to give it. They'll be willing to put up with somebody like me in their church as I try to fix my life and as I try to become better. They're not going to be bringing up every transgression I have. They're not going to be hitting me over the head with the Old Testament law. They're going to be people who are going to be loving me, be gracious for me. They'll make excuses for me. They'll go to God on my behalf. They'll make intercession for me just the way Jesus does. Why? Because these people, they understand grace. And they are givers of grace. And we have got to be that way. Don't be so arrogant as to mistake people's fear of you as a fear of just how intense you are and how hardcore you are. Because if you were gracious, they would come to you. People want help when people mess up. When they mess up, they want help. But they don't always feel like they can come to some of us because we're just too extreme and we're just going to go, well, you did that? Did you not read what the Ten Commandments said? Hey, Ten Commandments are right. Ten Commandments are just. But you know, we're supposed to be in the ministry of reconciliation, of restoration. God has given us that ministry. When was the last time you even tried to do that? Or you and the, some people, it's like their spiritual gift is condemnation. 
They're real good at figuring out what everybody's doing wrong. They're, they've got they've got their Old Testament all ready to go to hit people over the head with the law instead of being gracious. So do you all see how none of this is this none of this is throwing the Old Testament out. None of it is. Yeah, it's right. But we are allowed to be gracious. We should be gracious. It doesn't mean we're liberal. It doesn't mean we're soft. If we actually show some grace with people, it actually just means we're Christ-like. Seeing that is what He has done with every one of us. And He didn't just do it. He's still doing it. Every day that you are not in hell, He is being gracious to you. Until the rapture, He is going to have to be gracious because we have a vile body that sins every day. So it is, it's truly amazing that people who understand salvation by grace, that people who sing amazing grace on a regular basis always have people among them that absolutely have no grace for other people. Isn't that amazing? I, I, I find that very strange. Truth is, if you don't have grace for other people, I don't care how much you go soulening, I don't care how conservatively you dress, I don't care how much Bible that you read. If you have, if you do not have grace for other people, you are not Christ-like, and you might as well face that right now. And you know what you ought to do? You ought to come to Christ and ask Him for forgiveness once again, ask Him for grace once again for you failing and being gracious to other people. That's what should be done, and beg God to help you have an attitude like His. And actually be someone who is willing to put up with people, invest people, help people, forgive people, suffer wrong if necessary. That's what God wants from us. And I believe we ought to have that. We ought to practice that as Christians. So with that, let's pray. Dear Lord, we thank You so much for Your grace. I pray that this message tonight was a reminder to everyone of what they have received and what we are receiving on a daily basis. Dear God, I pray that uh, those who will not be gracious, those who will not repent of their just self-righteous, arrogant spirit, Lord, that they will stay as far away from this place as possible. We thank You for the wonderful spirit that we have in this church. We thank You for uh, just the, the good people and the great fellowship that we have here, Lord. We don't want to lose that. And I pray You'll help us to uh, remember these things so we can... Uh, remain united and have this the proper attitude in our church, uh, one that's like you. In your name we pray. Amen.